Hey guys, welcome back to 30 Something with Sunny. This is the podcast where we talk all about motherhood, self-care, and second chapters. Okay, this is, uh, this is kind of a special episode. This is the breaking news version of 30 Something. Um, I know that so many parents out there have tons of questions about coronavirus. We're in just a really weird period right now. Um, it's strange to be a person, let alone a parent, when a... Um, pandemic is occurring. So I wanted to bring on a medical expert today so that we could talk about coronavirus and give you some practical information on where you really need to be spending your energy and time. So we have Elizabeth Ciroli. She's a physician assistant here in Orlando. Elizabeth, I pretty much peppered you with like a thousand questions at our daughter's um, dance practice the other day. And I was like, you know what? I just need to bring you on the podcast because this is all information that I feel like every parent would want to know. So thank you so much for like, of course, this is, yeah, of course, no worries. I understand there's, there's always so many questions when things like this come up and just everything that's been going on recently, there really is um, a lot of unease and I appreciate that. Yeah. I think you've probably seen enough parents over the past couple of weeks to have answered all these questions at least once or twice so far. But I want to kind of just drill down and tell everybody what exactly is happening from a medical perspective and what we need to be doing. So um, just a heads up, guys, we're recording this and I know that this is a fluid situation. Information may be changing. And of course, by the time this comes out, if there is any significant change to what we're putting out there, I will have put a little addendum on the beginning of this episode. So no need to worry. But where we are right now... um, quarantine is not being mandated, Elizabeth, in the U.S. Yes, we are seeing that in Italy and in other places. Um, Mm -hmm. Do people need to make the decision right now, in your medical opinion, to self-isolate or quarantine? So I think right now what we're dealing with, because we have not been able to test in mass, we're dealing with what looks like probably skewed low numbers, especially for us in Florida. Um, so we've actually been fortunate, you know, we live in Orlando with a lot of high density um, venues, activities, and they have started to I mean, everybody can see sort of around the country, the NBA has, you know, suspended games, the NCAA, Disney just closed, which is almost unprecedented. Um, I think in their inception, they've been closed for four days. And so it really is an effort to try and reiterate the idea of, you know, social distancing, which I know has become a buzzword recently, you know, trying to maintain your distance around people who might be ill, um, more options for people to work at home. The quarantine specifically is for people who have known coronavirus, but those numbers are going to start to increase over time as more testing becomes available. Um, those you know, particular lockdown or, or quarantines, if you will, um, apply specifically to those people. What we're urging everybody to do is to practice social distancing, meaning that you're trying to avoid areas that are high density. And a lot of that's kind of being done for people in a way inadvertently with, you know, closures of all these different venues, which I think will help the situation. It's really just about trying to minimize the spread of any kind of virus, in this case, coronavirus, so that we're limiting the number of people and sort of tapering off that curve, that spike, if you will, um, just to prevent and protect those people, particularly who are more immunocompromised from getting it. 
I know a lot of parents have play dates or other small gatherings planned over the next couple of weeks. And I should make note that we're at a point in time right now where, um, although nothing is, like we said, it's being mandated, a lot of parents are sort of starting to be a little more wary of who they're exposing mm-hmm. themselves and their children to. So do you yeah. think that small groups need to be avoided too? Do we need to keep our kids, for example, out of um, lessons or birthday parties or other, let's say, 25 and under groups? So the the one silver lining to all of this is that small children don't seem to be affected negatively. Normally we'll see with viral infections, flu viruses, things like that, there's a bit of a U-shaped curve where the very young and the very old are negatively affected, um, higher mortality rates. This, we're only seeing half of the U, um, which is, you know, again, just an odd silver lining with this particular virus. But the one thing that we're not clear about is when people have very mild symptoms or maybe no symptoms in terms of being contagious, um, what we really want to do is try and prevent spread to the communities in which or the people who have, you know, more immunocompromised status. And so if your children are unwell in any way, I would recommend avoiding any sort of contact. I mean, normally we would say that, but I mean, children are always some iteration of ill, frankly, Um, especially if they're in a school setting. um, I feel like they have a chronic runny nose. But in this particular, you know, sort of time and climate of what we're dealing with with coronavirus, I think it's prudent if your kid is showing any symptoms of illness to avoid those particular venues, even smaller groups. Um, For people who are, you know, looking like they're really healthy, um, less likely that there is a concern in terms of um, becoming acutely ill. But what we're trying to do is social distancing in general. So that way, everybody, you know, has people that they know who are immunocompromised in some way. So I have two small kids, but my father-in-law who lives next door is 73. He's got a whole host of um, chronic medical issues. And so really the idea is that we're trying to not get him sick, um, as opposed to ourselves. I find it interesting that you said that these numbers we're seeing right now are are likely uh, showing low compared to what they might really be. Um, I know there's been some debate as to when people become symptomatic or finally show symptoms, and they are Mm -hmm. saying the average is five days from infection, but can it be up to two weeks? Um, Yes. is, is, Is that what you're seeing play out? And have you seen any cases in your office? So we have not um, seen any COVID-19 at our office thus far. We see, I mean, most of my day is spent, I work in a primary care setting. Um, most of my day, at least half of my patient volume are people who are sick. And so the, the availability of testing, we have only recently within the last 48 hours been approved to test in mass through Quest and LabCorp. So that testing is now available. I think what you're going to find is that as we start testing people more and more, these, this number of sick individuals, we're going to be able to identify who they are so that we can help to prevent spread. So I think just in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see what appears to be a massive increase in the number of cases. I think mainly just because at the moment, or at least up until just two days ago, we hadn't been able to test people so we couldn't identify them in the first place. And it's and going so, to lead to so much more widespread panic. Yeah, and I I understand that there is such an anxiety when you start to see a cluster of infections. It could reasonably be that there are people out in the community right now who have the virus, we're just not able to identify them. So 
as time goes on and that number increases, I understand that there will be more anxiety. But what I want people to try and appreciate is that all of the systems that have been put in place, the canceling of all of these different venues is really to try and flatten the curve of infection. We don't want to see this massive increase in spike because what it will do is put more strain on the resources that we have through hospitals and all of these healthcare settings. And so we want to be able to treat the people who are ill when they need help and not just have this massive number of people who are being seen and treated. So the goal is to try and minimize. So I really encourage people to, as much as possible, feel that vigilance and action is what's important, not so much panic. And I appreciate that it's hard to not have some level of anxiety about it, but that um, really all of these steps that we're taking are, are truly for, the, for our collective good. I'm hearing a lot of cynicism out there, and you can understand, I do think it's a defense mechanism of sorts against what you were just saying, this this panic. Uh, people saying, well, it's really not that bad, and you know what, I got to live my life. And um, on the other hand, people really critical of that sort of uh, recklessness and, and carelessness. I saw this article in Newsweek, mm-hmm. and it was... Um, it was pretty poignant. It was something to the to the effect of, you know, okay, I'm glad you're young and healthy. Now stop killing people. <laughs> I was like, you know <laughs> yeah. what? That headline yeah. is actually pretty effective. I think we go yes. throughout our day trying to, especially as parents, keep our kids yes. entertained. We want to keep their schedules as normal as possible. But there is really an element of um, social obligation sort of involved here. And we're not used to doing that here in America. We're the selfish mm-hmm. people, you know, we're like, we've got the <laughs> yeah. best healthcare system. We've got, yeah. you know, great doctors. Um, but what you mentioned there, it does really terrify me, just the lack of available um, treatment centers, you know, like spaces mm-hmm. and hospitals for these people. Do you realistically think that um, if with the additional testing, we start to see massive cases sort of in an influx to hospitals, will those hospitals be able to treat the patients? I, I think, yes, as long as we're able to keep our newly infected or at least newly diagnosed, you know, um, at a reasonable rate. That's the whole sort of the point of the social distancing um, effort, if you will. And so closing all of the different venues and schools, et cetera. Um, I agree with you going back to your point about, um, you know, I realize that this, you know, the particular audience, too, that we're talking with, like we're in our 30s. I have small kids. Um, I'm in that group, although I'm very high risk because of my occupation. Um, I am not, um, you know, I'm young and otherwise healthy. Fortunately, this doesn't seem to be affecting kids very negatively. So it's easy to sort of go on and feel like, well, it's not, even if I get it, it's just going to be a mild illness. Um, you know, it's no kind of skin off my back. Um, And really what we want to try and do is shift the idea that, like you were sort of saying about social responsibility, that everybody has somebody in their life that could be negatively affected by this virus if they were to come in contact with it and not have as good of odds, if you will, of, you know, doing well. And so I think I would really behoove everybody to sort of just keep in mind the idea of the collective good. I realize it's not convenient. I realize that it's a pain. Um, It's hard when you have kids and you want to do things and it's spring break here in Orlando. People had plans. They want to go out. They want to travel. They want to do things. Um, But really what we need to do is we have an opportunity to try and minimize the spread of this illness and that will benefit everybody as a trickle-down effect and so um, from a hospital system standpoint I think right now we're fine Um, once we start to see increased 
increasing cases, we're obviously going to have more people that are hospitalized. People who have mild, you know, very um, sort of basic flu-like symptoms can certainly self-quarantine. Not everybody needs hospitalization. For people who are just, you know, displaying signs of severe lower respiratory tract symptoms, cough, shortness of breath, um, they certainly should be evaluated. And I would encourage anybody who's sick to be evaluated by their doctor, primary care provider, um, hospital if needed. Um, certainly don't delay seeking care. But a lot of people can be treated, um, you know, at home as well, too, if they have pretty mild symptoms. So if we're able to sort of, if you can imagine the curve, if you will, as a giant spike of people who are going to get infected, if we can flatten that, it'll, we'll be able to handle um, from a hospital and um, provider standpoint um, much more easily than we would if, you know, we didn't practice these methods. Is there any way to extrapolate based on the numbers we have now? Again, acknowledging that they may be a little bit skewed, but based sure. on um, what you expect to happen, how long, how many weeks, how many months this could be an active mm -hmm. threat? Yeah, and you know, it's a great question. Um, I, I think for the foreseeable weeks, perhaps months, we're gonna we're gonna be able to get a better sense of that. Um, if people are tested even today for COVID-19 or coronavirus, that testing can take anywhere from four to seven days to come back, depending on the lab. And so that's why we're encouraging people. If you're sick and we've tested you or you have flu-like symptoms and you're waiting for these testings, please stay home and don't, you know, go about in the community, you know, get your groceries delivered or get somebody to do it for you so that you are, while you are ill and waiting for some of these testings to come back in, you're not continuing to potentially spread to other people who don't have as good of an immune system as you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's just, it's really, um, it's a really challenging time. I think there's just so many layers to this, taking away the inconvenience, mm -hmm. like you mentioned, which I think is sort of the most um, selfish perspective on how to view sure. this, but also the uncertainty that it's revealed about um, our, our medical system and are we, are we in fact equipped if there were a super mm -hmm. virus that really, mm -hmm. really impacted everybody, not just, you know, a certain demographic or part of the population. Um, I would imagine that this is putting a lot of very important people on high alert as to what changes perhaps need to take place in our system over the next several years. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a good point. I mean, we always aim to, you know, be prepared for different, um, you know, cold and flu seasons and viruses, this one being a novel virus, not something that we've seen before. Um, and so whenever something like this comes up, it really does show kind of the chinks in the armor, so to speak, um, so that you can sort of see what you can improve, um, you know, going forward and for next time as well, too. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, the United States is such an enormous country. We're a country of people that travel. Um, there is a lot, it's easier to contain, I think, you know, much smaller populations of people than it is, you know, the United States in general. And so a lot of the issues that we have, um, we, you know, we really try and aim to, you know, decrease infection risk by, you know, just minimizing the amount of time that people are spending um, out in the community at the moment. So what, um, let's, let's try to boil it down into some quick takeaways for parents, especially since that's the um, group we want to inform here. Yeah. Some things in their toolkit that they can um, just sort of keep over the next several weeks as the mm -hmm. virus continues to progress. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So the things, um, the biggest thing, and I know it just seems like we're beating a dead horse, but hand washing is the best thing that you can do. You are so much more likely to get sick from what you touch than what you breathe. Um, and I mean, my kids are a great example of that. I mean, every time we fly, I swear we get sick and it's not because of, you know, what's circulating through the air. It's because they drop something and pick it off off the floor and eat it. Um, and so really trying to encourage hand washing, good hygiene, those, that's one of the best things you can do for yourself. Wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. And um, if that's not available, the second best option is a hand sanitizer that's at least 60% alcohol. Um, you know, I keep telling patients to wash your hands like you just cut chili peppers and you got to put in your contacts. I mean, that's good. so really, really just like scrubbing them um, really does help to eliminate. And a lot of areas like in between the digits, so to speak, is a place that gets missed really commonly. So like around the thumb and in between each of the fingers. So really just trying to get in those areas and encouraging your children similarly to wash their hands as well too. Um, if you're ill for any reason, please stay home um, and avoid passing along any sort of virus because um, it's hard to delineate between cold and flu symptoms and coronavirus depending on your age and immune system. Um, so it would really just behoove the entire community as a whole to stay home if you're not feeling well. Um, and then if you do become sick for any reason, you know, please call, notify your primary care physician, pediatrician, um, if you're really unwell, you know, obviously seek care at the hospital or the emergency room. Um, they sound like very basic things, but we have found time and time again, just all over the world that these types of initiatives make a big difference in terms of reducing spread. And so although there's a lot of information, a lot of what we go back to is very basic. Um, and so I think that if you can sort of hold on to those basic tenants, um, try not to you know, be overly anxious or panic. I realize that if you turn on the news, like even I get sucked into it, I completely understand um, how it just seems it's all anybody can talk about. And I'm glad to some extent because I think those initiatives and measures will help to reduce the amount of spread so that we can protect people who are the most vulnerable, those over the age of 60 or have the other sort of immunocompromised states. Um, so I would encourage people to do those things. What about a potential vaccine? We've heard much talk about this. Is there in your best estimate any hope mm -hmm. for that to be available as the threat is still active here? Um, generally vaccine development, as far as I know, there are some vaccinations that they're looking at that they might have pushed to trial. I don't know. It depends on how long the coronavirus outbreak goes for at this point. And, you know, it is something that could be, you know, shorter lived depending on how it goes, or it is something that could sort of linger. Um, whether or not that's going to be something that's active for this season, um, sort of like H1N1, how we eventually developed a vaccine and now H1N1 is built into our flu vaccine. Um, I think eventually they will, you know, because it's a coronavirus, we'll be able to come up with hopefully some sort of vaccination and or treatment, but I don't think it's going to be available for some time. Um, so at the moment, it's mostly just about trying to minimize spread and, and prevention. And give us a list, a quick list of symptoms to keep an eye out for. I know it's very easily to mistake symptoms of a common cold for this, but just to help people kind of um, try to determine what they might be dealing with and whether or not they need to be tested. Sure. And so in sort of two different parts to your question too. So from a symptom standpoint, um, most of the people that are presenting with symptoms of COVID-19, um, the ones that have been spurred to be tested thus far have 
generally been displaying lower respiratory tract symptoms, really bad cough, congestion, um, you know, pneumonia from an unclear source um, kind of symptoms. Those are generally people who don't have as good an immune system. Um, the, the continuum of symptoms is, is really dramatic. So you could have somebody who has very mild symptoms, just what seemed to be like a cold, runny nose, sore throat, cough, um, malaise, aches, you know, I say malaise, that's more just like you don't feel well, um, achiness, sort of flu-like, um, and those flu symptoms can be very mild to very severe. Um, coronavirus is designated as a severe acute respiratory syndrome or SARS coronavirus, if you will. So a lot of people will present with just a really nasty cough and congestion, um, fever oftentimes accompanies symptoms, but it's not a rule. And, um, just not feeling well, like you just you feel tired, you don't feel great, breathing difficulties, things like that. From a testing standpoint, that's going to change. And, you know, we're sort of figuring this out in real time. Um, and so really these sort of guidelines could reasonably change over the next um, even few days. Per the CDC's guidelines, um, the people that historically had been able to be tested were those who were either out of the country um, recently or people who had known exposure to COVID-19. And so because the number of people that we have is a very small pool, it's been very hard to identify those people who may have been exposed, if you will. And so I think that as more and more people get tested, the only way we're gonna really find out is when we start testing people. Um, so as that testing, you know, it's recently become more available, certainly check with your primary care office or health department. Um, there should be testings available. There are at least in Orlando um, that we will be able to, you know, sort of discover more and more people who are, who are ill. And so that will lead to a larger pool of people being tested. Mm -hmm. So if the you know recommendations are based off of well I was in contact with this person who was positive for COVID nineteen that will spur more people to be tested um, so we're just you're going to see an uptick like for sure over the next few weeks you're going to see more and more people who are positive because we have the testing available mm -hmm. and one other quick question if you do suspect that you may be <laughs> dealing with this and you want to be tested I'm hearing mm -hmm. that people aren't being advised to go directly into a hospital but to call ahead is that still the protocol? Yeah, so I mean, just from from my standpoint, we have testing capabilities at my office, which is a primary care office through Quest and LabCorp. I, I can't speak for the rest of the country. I don't know. Um, what I would do is I would call their primary care office. Um, and ask if they have testing capabilities through Quest or LabCorp. It's just a simple, it's a nasal swab. There's three different ways to test. There is, the first one is a nasal pharyngeal swab. Um, and so that test um, is available. It's, then it gets sent to Quest or LabCorp or health department or any of the um, other facilities or hospitals. And so if you're high suspicion for it, I would certainly call your primary care office and or you could certainly go to the hospital and give them a heads up that you're concerned. Um, and really what they're having that information is helpful so that they can obviously try and um, do as much precaution when they're testing you as to not, you know, the healthcare worker doesn't get sick. Um, so that they have a heads up on what you're coming for is always helpful. 
Okay, uh, Elizabeth, I really, really appreciate you letting me do this. I just feel like it's always better to have more information out there. And um, if there's anything else you want to add, um, we would love to hear it. I know for people in the Orlando area, they might be interested in learning how to track you down. You are so mm -hmm. thorough and so thoughtful and so intelligent. So for mm -hmm. anyone who is local, do you want to tell us where people can find you? Sure, yeah, thank you. That's very sweet. Um, we are, so currently when we're, or in Winter Park, and um, we are opening a new office um, starting May 1st called Rethink Health, um, which will also be located in Winter Park. So that's where you can find us. Um, and I really appreciate you letting me come on. I think that, you know, there's a lot of information out there and I would just encourage people as much as possible to, to truly, you know, take a deep breath. It's going to look much worse before it looks better. That is inevitable. And people should sort of mentally prepare themselves, sort of manage that expectation that it's going to look dramatically worse initially. Um, but the goal being that hopefully we can see that spike flatten out over time and that we're able to keep as much of our population well as possible and just, um, you know, keep them healthy and safe. And mm -hmm. hopefully it will, you know, sort of peter down over time. Oh, you heard it. People wash your hands, wash between your fingers, wash under your fingernails and stay away from crowded places. Um, Elizabeth, thank you again so much. I yes, genuinely appreciate it. Say, which I think, you know, absolutely. And we'll maybe not see you at dance next week. I guess that's the other. <laughs> yeah. Well, fortunately it's spring break anyway. I think it's closed, but, that's true. Um, that's but yeah, true. you're going to find more and more of these things keep getting canceled. My husband works in the um, restaurant industry. And so it's just been a massive disruption. Um, yeah. You know, people don't want to eat out as much, um, which I understand. And so like the to-go order side of it is much higher. And so yeah. it, it's interesting how it's all, you know, sort of changing and evolving, but I think for the, for the better um, in the short term, and then um, hopefully it'll be an effective process. Absolutely. Elizabeth, thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you.